Thought Leadership Studio. You're listening to Thought Leadership Studio, the podcast that helps you master high-level positive mass influence to create distinctive business niches, captivate an audience, grow your following, and change the game by changing the frame with strategic thought leadership. Thought Leadership Studio. Welcome back to Thought Leadership Studio. I'm your host, Chris McNeil, strategic thought leadership coach and consultant, digital marketer, and this is episode 43, Keeping Your Seat at the Table, an interview with author Nori Jabba in which we'll learn from Nori's transformative journey. What can be said in exactly a hundred words? Why is a table a great metaphor? And how and why to bring yourself to a story? What this episode will do for you is help you gain insights from Nori Jabba, author of Keeping Your Seat at the Table on how to navigate the professional world and maintain your position of influence. To learn about the power of summarization and the benefits of using concise 100-word summaries to capture the essence of complex ideas. To understand the pivotal events that inspired Nori Jabba to write her book, including her personal journey of overcoming job hunting challenges. And explore the metaphor of the table as a central symbol in our lives and its significance in corporate success and personal growth. So Nori Jabba is an experienced professional in corporate real estate and urban planning. She embarked on a transformative journey after facing job hunting challenges. Her memoir and guide, Keeping Your Seat at the Table, encapsulates her quest to understand ageism and empower mature women in the workforce. And I'll say her journey and the metaphors she's discovered apply to all of us, not just women. And with three decades of experience and a master's degree in urban and regional planning, Nori offers invaluable insights on navigating the corporate corporate world and reclaiming influence. Her writing continues to inspire others, so discover her empowering work and unlock the keys to professional success and personal growth. So let's jump right into the interview. So I'm your host of Thought Leadership Studio, Chris McNeil. And I'm sitting here from coast to coast uh, with Nori Jabba, the author of Keeping Your Seat at the Table. Welcome, Nori. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. You're welcome. And one thing I I noticed about your book I really like is that you have a hundred word summary at the beginning of each chapter. Yes. For those TLDR types who always feel like they're so busy, they they can get the gist of it. But what I found is they they were just the right tease to make you really want to dive in and and get the whole story but but for our listeners um maybe just if you can start with giving us the big picture of what pivotal events happened that inspired you to share your story this way well so i want to talk about the 100 word summary just for a second first because it's such a beautiful tool to help you summarize your thoughts and writing And it's based on the 100 word story, which was started by a a friend of mine, or he he took it to the next level and publishes a book every year of 100 word stories. And you can submit your 100 word story. So I just started challenging myself to just to 
get my words down and my thoughts to 100 words exactly. So it's just a really fun way to focus your thinking. And so my journey really started when I decided to go back to work from a consulting position that I'd had for many years. My kids were older. I didn't need that flexibility anymore. I missed being on a team and missed the benefits and stability of working for an employer. So I started job hunting and, you know, I have about 30 years of experience. I'd had over 40 clients consulting. I had won business women of the year for San Mateo County. Oh. I had awards and a very professional resume. So I didn't think it would be that hard to land a, a decent job, but no one would hire me. No one. I came in second time and time again. I didn't get a response. I was told I wasn't a good fit. I was told somebody else met the qualifications more. I was told my salary expectations were high, too high and on and on. And so it started taking a toll on my self-esteem. So I decided to forget job hunting. And if they weren't going to, nobody was going to hire me. I decided I'm going to start my own company and I'm going to write a book about this journey because uh, this is ridiculous. So I decided to start a company and joined an incubator program to help me do that. And I'm from Silicon Valley. I have an entrepreneurial spirit. My dad was an entrepreneur. My husband's in startups. So I thought, I've got this. You know, I spent my childhood soldering motherboards for Apple computer on a garage floor when Apple was just beginning in the late 70s and 80s and testing integrated circuits and swapping out integrated circuits on motherboards. You know, I was a Silicon Valley, a real Valley girl. You're a techie. I, not really, but, you know, you, you grow up in this area and you, you get into it. So I thought I could start this company. And through the incubator program, which was called Bliss Champions and started by a friend of mine, I, we spent a lot of time working on passion and purpose. And Eric, the leader of that group, wanted to really make sure we had what it takes to make this come true, because it's a ton of work, right? So in that process, I realized that I don't really want to start a company. Yes, it'd be fun, but my true purpose is writing and sharing my stories with others. So it was through that program that I tabled my concept for the company, no pun intended, well, actually it is, and focused on writing and sharing my story. And I came up with the table concept at a leadership conference for women. And somebody was talking about keeping your seat at the table. And I just started brainstorming and thinking uh, about the nuggets of information she had provided to us. And I came up with these fun plays on word on the table. And I just thought it would be so perfect for a book. And then I started thinking about the table and the definition and how it's absolutely essential to the human condition. It is, it is where we eat, we drink, we fall in love, we work, we have tough conversations, we make decisions, we create, we do so much of our life. Right. And so to, to just have it focused on our corporate success, I realized I needed to think of it in a much bigger way. And it's also, it's such a versatile word. You know, it's a noun, it's a verb. And don't 
it's getting pulled under the table is one of my chapters. You know, you can have a table of contents. It's a table you sit at, but you can table something for later. Um, you can be paid under the table. You know, it's just got so many meanings in our culture. So it, through my journey, I realized that it really is necessary to flip the table over and build your own. Instead of the traditional view of the table is just a, a bunch of traditionally white men sitting at a table, you work for years, blood, sweat, and tears, and you're finally invited to have a seat. So in my book, I show you how to create your own table and invite people that support you, that challenge you, that hold you accountable to share on your journey and support each other. That's so awesome. I'm getting a lot of things from this, Nori, and a few of them that I, I think are worth examining a little more deeply are the power of metaphor in general, but in particular, the way you've used metaphor with the table for all of its explanatory value, but also pulling something out to examine that is such a ubiquitous part of our culture, of our shared reality as human beings that we don't even necessarily think about it day to day, but how much time do we spend at a table? And then you have a board of directors table, you've got the kitchen table, the little dining room table I share breakfast with with my wife and dog stealing food off of it. And I need to have a, a full disclosure here. My Doberman is right next to me and it's garbage day. And she goes crazy when she hears rolling carts. So if, if she barks, I apologize. It's really hard to stop her. Don't, don't apologize. Rocket, my dog will probably make a visit at some point. And I love dogs. So your, your dog's input is welcome. Okay, thank you. But yes, the table is in every culture in the world. And it is so central to everything that we do and it's also exceptionally central to women's lives you know traditionally the woman in the kitchen and all of that and you know now now societies share in that and we're all in the kitchen together but you know when you think about it when we have parties we're around the table we're in the kitchen you know we just yeah. So I really want to kind of grab back the table for women to you know it, this is our table. <laughs> right. It's really important to include everybody at the table. And even though my book is focused on women in middle age, 40 to 60, roughly, it is so valuable for men to be part of the journey. And it's absolutely a celebration of those men who have a seat at the table with me, that have been on the journey with me, that have supported me. I've dedicated the book to a man. That's my dad. Um, you know, men are so important at the table for women. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I really related to to your intro talking about your dad. I lost my father just a few years ago. Yeah. He died while I was writing the book, and he was such a supporter of, of my journey and, and getting this to print. And he'd be so proud of me today for, for getting to this point. So, you know, he was a wonderful man and um, a great influence on me. Well, that's awesome. And something else you brought up, I think it, is it'd be helpful for the, our listeners to examine a little bit, is the discipline of the 100-word summary. And it also, it makes me think of a couple of things, okay? One is 
how how much value I found in writing myself as well in being able to better articulate a concept or a vision by having to put it into words and organize those words into models or find metaphors that adequately convey something that might seem hard to reach with words to start with, it, but it clarifies thinking to me. Yes. And, and how much also my thoughts about AI now, and a lot of people are using tools like chat GPT to write for them. And I think if we're not careful about how we use it, we could lose something as thought leaders yeah, or practitioners of thought leadership or those who just want to influence others in a positive way of the value of having to articulate things in writing and the clarification that brings to our own thinking. What are your thoughts yes. on those things? So, you know, AI is such a blessing and a curse, right? But I think we all need to think of ourselves almost like machine learners, right? So AI learns on its own and then takes that to the next level. And a chapter in my book about relevance is doing just that, taking yourself to the next level, thinking of yourself almost like a, a sponge and having to absorb and what can you get out of that? And I'll give you a little example. Every, for my job years ago, I had to go to four to five evening events a week and multiple lunches. And people would get tired of these things and would see each other at these things all the time. And, you know, somebody would say, you know, another keynote and be on their phone the whole time. I tried to get at least one nugget takeaway from every, every keynote, even if it was boring or every speaker and just get some value out of it and take that and learn from it. And honestly, that's how I came up with the table concept in the book was doing just that. But really? if we can think of ourselves as, as AI masters and learn from ourselves and grow from every input, I think that is the key. And I don't know if the AI could master the 100 word story, you know, that would be a really fun experiment to see what they come up with, a machine comes up with for 100 words, but it is really hard to get exactly 100 words. And I don't mean 98 words or less than 100, I mean exactly 100. So it's a wonderful tool. And when my kids were in high school, they would end college, they would have assignments where you had to maximum 2,500 words or 1,000 words or 750 words. And so they would write their draft and they would say, mom, can you help me cut my words? And we would sit on Google, Google Docs together and I'd make suggestions and cut here, cut there. And we started having fun with it. And we would, our challenge was to get the essay to exactly the maximum, exactly. Oh, maximum. that's cool. <laughs> and so I've been doing this for a while. And then my friend, friend, friend Grant Faulkner, who runs 100 Word Story, and that website is 100wordstory.org. Um, you know, he's a master of this. And it's all about brevity. Um, he also wrote the book, The Art of Brevity, and thinking about what is a story and taking a sentence. Is this sentence a story? And so you can really pack a punch in 100 words. And, you know, it's that, it's that saying that has been credited to so many people. I'm so sorry I wrote a long letter. I didn't have time to write a short one. So... <laughs> with AI that's a twist yeah I think it's going to be a challenge in the future um, 
I, I don't think there's any way to replace the table in your heart. You know, AI can look at something, but they don't have all of the inputs that we have as human beings. And if you think of every process as if you're writing, for example, being around the table and, and having that support network to help you write this wonderful message that you're trying to get out, you're going to bring all these aspects of your personal life to whatever you write, whether it's corporate white paper or a report for a board of directors, you're bringing your personality to your writing. And I hope my personality comes through in my writing. I think it does. But there's no way that AI can bring up a reference from when I was 10 years old. Because AI can't do that, right? Unless that reference is in the system. So I, I hope that people will reflect on that and think about using that tool of 100 words to really just make a concrete thought even more concrete and clear and really get your point across. And I just can't imagine that a machine would be able to do that successfully. Well, if a couple of things that makes me think of is like the artist who is limited by the paint, the canvas, the hundred words gives you strict limits and art really lives within limits. If there are no boundaries, it'd be hard to have a container to convey the art through. And maybe there's a value to the tightness of the container. I mean, I'm a musician. We have a 12 note musical chromatic scale in the Western world. And those 12 notes can be organized to convey so many things. Right, right. And, and writing really is music, honestly. It really is. I see them as very, very similar. I think so. I mean, they're both art forms. And I, I wondered about the usefulness of even the term artificial intelligence because it implies it can take the place of human intelligence. I like extended intelligence yeah. as a better term better. because it's a, a quicker way to get answers I'm discovering than using search engines that are often polluted with people who've learned to game the search engines rather than deliver really good value in some cases. Right, exactly. Uh, but it, it, they, the AI can't visualize, it can't think in all the senses like we can and access the memory of a visual image and pull something out that it can emulate and make it seem like it does to some. Right. But as a master, so you, you spoke of, does a sentence make a story? And you're a master storyteller. What does make a good story to you? What, what, and, and I'm, I'm trying to pull out something of the actual, not just your accomplishments, which are awesome, but mm -hmm. and the story you tell, but also your personal way of creating that story. Well, you've really got to bring yourself to the story. And, and that's the bottom line. I mean, they say that great speakers, if you watch a TED Talk, you know, they're, they're connecting with you. So that's what it's all about is connecting with the audience um, being vulnerable you know renee brown i referenced her in the book and she really turned my life around with vulnerability and i now see it as a complete strength and that's what my book is is i mean the whole journey is sharing being vulnerable and sharing what happened to me when i couldn't get a job and even so people saw me as this great success and they had no idea I was going through this. Last night I held my book launch party and 
a lot of people were there and my supporters that just had no clue how hard this was. And it really resonated because so many people that were there with me are feeling the same way. So yes, um, you have to bring yourself, you, your journey and be vulnerable and share yourself in order to connect with your audience. There really is no other way to do it. You know, you can ask questions, but you've got to share yourself. Well, and I'm noticing a lot of the story of how you came up with your story, what inspired it as elements of the hero's journey. Yes, for the sure. Challenge and, and how that, it appears to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, triggered you to look within yourself to find new ways of thinking, new metaphors, mm -hmm. ended up having value to others you could share them with. That if life had just been smooth and you automatically got the job you wanted, you wouldn't have had this period of make what you call a self-examination. Yes. So I'll give you an example. So when I decided to focus on the book, I reached out to one of the HR hiring managers or director of HR at one of the companies that told me I came in second. Thank you very much. And told her I'm writing a book. Would you mind having coffee with me? And I want to talk about why it's so hard for women my age to get a job. And she said, yes. So I drove 60 miles to have coffee with her. And honestly, it would be a 60 mile commute one way if I'd gotten that job. So things work out for a reason, right? That sure. would have done me in. But we had a wonderful conversation. And she had never been asked this question before. And she completely unloaded on me so much information. And I'll just share a couple of things that she said. Um, one was that she said that women my age don't listen. And I, I was pissed off when she said that. I didn't want to listen. And it struck me as we were talking that I was doing exactly what she said women my age do by trying not to listen to her. So I just sat up in my chair and I realized, oh, my God, maybe she's right. So I really listened to her. And I really became a better listener because of this journey. But listening and the other thing she said that was so important and really changed my whole life when it comes to my work is she said that women of a certain age tend to be dismissive of younger workers, both men and women. And I really thought about that because I never saw myself as dismissive, but, and she wasn't necessarily talking about me, but I, I really took that to heart and started embracing younger workers and younger people in my life. And I am proud to say that now, and by the way, I did get my seat back at the table through this journey and I got a great job as well. So the journey, the seat at the table isn't necessarily about my job and my purpose isn't necessarily about my job, but my boss is decades younger than me. She could be my daughter. And she asked me in our final interview, is this going to be weird? Are you okay with this? Having somebody so much younger than you as your supervisor? And I said, no, I think it's fantastic. I am so excited about it because I have so much to learn from you. And I don't think my head would have been able to accept that before I had the conversation with that HR director who really planted that seed in me. And so it really, I, I had a complete pivot and 
I really think that's a big part of why I got my seat back at the table was being able to embrace younger minds and younger thoughts. And I mean, the old me would have said, you know, I'm how can I have a boss that much younger than me? Now I I love it. I absolutely love it. And she is so smart and so fantastic and such a great boss. And we support each other. I love that. And I, I really like how you're speaking to the value of learning, lifelong learning and openness. And I don't mean learning by just in just gathering more knowledge, but learning and be, being willing to to be vulnerable, like you say, to examine our own belief systems yes, and be open to those being challenged because that's a, to me, a higher level of learning, a higher level of growth than just acquiring more knowledge. Right. What, are, what other things, what other values have you discovered or nurtured within yourself and those around you as part of this journey? So, there are eight steps that I put together for keeping your seat at the table or getting it back if you've lost it or re-examining it if you feel like you have it. And all of them, all of them are so valuable. So we talked about finding purpose and I call that flipping the table. The next one that really happened needs to happen next is what I call clearing the table. And that is letting go of everything that is holding you back. I realized that there was a whole lot holding me back, not believing in myself, even though I thought I believed in myself. No, I didn't. Being able to forgive other people. I learned the secret on how to forgive and I share it in clearing the table. It's clearing the clutter in your head. And in my case, it's also real clutter, like all these distractions. I can't do this. I've got to clean the house. I can't, I can't look for a job today. I've got to do, you know, eight loads of laundry or whatever it is, but clearing the clutter and also letting go of what is holding you back was, was so important and forgiving and, and finding that inner peace and inner belief in what it is I wanted to do. And the next one was, is reinforcing the table. And that is about building strength. So I really had to think of myself as a stronger person. You know, I looked back at my interviews where I came in second or didn't, didn't make it to the next round. Did I not come across strong enough? Was there, was there not a good balance between authority and humility? But reinforcing the table is about feeling strong and being strong in body, mind, and spirit. It's about finding your inner athlete. And if you talk to anyone who did sports, competitive sports as a kid, they will tell you that it gave them such great confidence and they carried that with them into their adult life. I didn't do competitive sports as a kid. I wasn't picked for teams. I was not an athlete. I later found skiing and gymnastics, which were more individual and found confidence through those things. I became a great skier. Well, not great, but very good. Mm -hmm. And skied until I had a terrible accident when I was 28 and my skiing days were over at that point. But sports leads to 
self-confidence. And so this chapter is all about getting that mindset back of having that confidence and feeling strong about yourself. So your table is strong. And the next one is sitting at the head of the table. And that's about feeling empowered and just really regaining that confidence in life and how you do that, how you show up. Do you have this underlying anxiety? Did I say that right? Did I do that right? And I go into social media because we are all sharing ourselves on social media. And it's it's necessary when you're job hunting and, and in the public world in your work to have this presence. And so I give a lot of advice and tips on kind of branding and how you show up online and developing a policy for yourself that gives you confidence that you're consistent and you're not making mistakes. And also in your daily interactions with people, having that same confidence and policies for yourself on, on how you show up and showing up differently. You know, that's said overused term, but, but it's really true showing up with your unique self and your transparent self and your authentic self is what that's all about. And the next one we've touched on a little bit and that's staying relevant. And I call that not tabling yourself and being that AI sponge that learns and grows from everything you do, but being open to learning and open to listening and having heroes that you that you are your mentors and that you learn from and grow from and aspire to and that they inspire you and then not so we talked about not tabling yourself and then the next one is not getting pulled under the table and this is a this chapter was really tough um because it's it's where that real vulnerability comes out and the truth is part of why i lost my seat at the table was everything pulling me down. Um, I had aging parents and I had to drop everything to focus on my mom who lived out of state and I needed to find her a new place to live, manage her finances and legal affairs, downsize her, just move her to the next chapter in her life. And it, it was all consuming. And I had a major client at the time, and I kept having to miss public meetings that couldn't be postponed. You know, you can't postpone a city council meeting. And they dropped me, and I just couldn't be there for them. And after that, I had trouble finding a new big client. But I don't, I'm not upset with my mom for that. It just, you know, it was this volcano about to erupt. I knew it was coming. I have other siblings, but they were not available to help for various reasons. So it all fell on me. And my book shares how I got through it and my tips for others so that they don't just have this in the back of their head, creating this sense of stress and anxiety deep down, but allows them to face it head on and get on top of it. And that having that ability to plan and feel in control with that will help you get your seat back at the table or help you keep your seat. Because if you are scared inside about this volcano that's about to erupt, whatever it is, it's going to pull you down and it's going to distract you and keep you from achieving your best self and achieving your purpose. And 
focusing on whatever it is you really need to do. So that chapter is all about aging too. You know, as a woman in, in my fifties, I, I'm trying to navigate this aging thing. How do you do it well? And so I, I focus a lot in the book about who are my, who is my inspiration for aging? Well, how can I age better than my mom? And my mom did a great job in many ways, but I've learned some lessons from both of my parents on aging. And, you know, one of them is to have that sense of purpose and that just keeps you going and to keep moving and to not put your head in the sand and address your problems head on. So that's what that chapter is all about. But in my journey, I realized all of these things were affecting my seat at the table. You know, it's not just about how well you do in a job interview and what's on your resume. It's about your whole self. So the, the next chapter is leveraging what you bring to the table and valuing your experience. And this whole chapter is really calling BS on this pressure that older people feel to hide who they are, to hide their age, to hide their experience and downplay themselves, to take your years off that you graduated from college on your resume. Don't, don't dare put that on. You'll come across as old. I say BS. My journey has led me to hold my head high, to value my experience, to own my experience. And I share tips on, you know, how to balance that authority and humility and really come across with strength, but also being open to learning new things. I think that is key as well in that whole chapter. So those are the seven. The final one is leaning on the table. And that is realizing we can't do it alone. You know, Sheryl Sandberg wrote the book Lean In, which I read and I thought was absolutely wonderful. And the day after I read Cheryl's book, and Cheryl lives nearby, I've, I've not met her in person, but we actually had Mother's Day dinner together and we were the only people, our families were the only two in the restaurant. And I never even went up to her because I wanted her to have her privacy, but I wanted to thank her. And if you're listening, Cheryl, I want to thank you because I read her book and I had to submit a proposal the next day to a new client. And so I came up with my price and thanks to Cheryl, I doubled it. I finally said, what, what am I doing? Why not? What's the worst they can say? No, right? So I doubled my price thinking, okay, we'll enter into negotiations now. They said, yes. They didn't even question my number. So boy, was she spot on, you know, about valuing yourself. But I also believe that we need to lean in, but we also need to lean on and invite people to our table, one for each of the chapters and yourself. And at least, you know, I have, my table is huge. Everybody who was at my lunch party last night is definitely at my table. Um, but to lean on others, to support you, hold you accountable, challenge you, help you grow. And you're not in this alone. And so many women have to go it alone. You know, you're fighting for that seat at the table. You're pushing other women aside. You're competing with them instead of supporting each other. 
And, you know, the book is all about realizing that a table's big enough, big enough for all of us, right? It really is. That's such so, an important point. Yeah. We we're really live in a society that is very competitive versus collaborative. Yes. Think about the sports. Uh, right. The sports are competitive. We're kind of trained from a young age to be competitive with one another rather than seek synergy. Absolutely. Absolutely. In the power of a book it doubled your price. Yeah. yeah it that speak to the power of a book. And I'm talking to everybody listening to this, who you need to get Nori's book. <laughs> yeah. And then once you've done all those eight steps, you get up on the table and dance, right? Because you realize that you have your seat at the table. And if there are people in your life that are bringing you down, you can dismiss them from the table. They don't need to be there. You know, you've got to think of that table as your support network. And so that is my story. Those are my eight steps. And it's been a wonderful journey. Yeah, I love this sitting but, at the head of the table too. And it reminds me of several things. One of them being when I used to do presentations at corporations more and COVID kind of took my consulting business more to over Zoom than anything. But I'd always try to sit at the head of the table because people anchored authority to that. Right, right. Where you sit at the table is really important. There's a, there's a whole article on it. You know, if you sit next to the person at the head of the table, what does that say? If you sit at the other end of the table, what does that say? If you're in the middle, what does that say? Um, you know, advice for women and Cheryl is right. Cheryl Sandberg is right on on this. Do not go into the room and sit on the side or in the back. And I know sometimes I've done that. Um, not at the table, but sat near the door because I had to escape for another meeting or something. But, you know, where you sit makes a big difference. Uh, something to think about. Absolutely. And I love the model. And I'm also thinking of a concept that I've grown to really value of having an inner board of advisors, if not an outer board of advisors, who would sit at your table could be his mythical figures, could be historical figures who aren't alive anymore, but that you draw inspiration from. Right. Who would sit at your table that if this, if you could past, present, real? My goodness, there are so many people I want at my table. Um, I want Richard Branson at my table. He is one of my heroes. I mean, this man, if you've read his books, keeping your virginity and losing your, my virginity. It, his story is just amazing. And he is my inspiration to just nothing. Nothing is too hard. You, If you have a dream, you can make it happen. And so Richard would absolutely be at my table. And he's also in my book, I quote his book about his granny who was 99 and said, these are the best years of my life. She was so happy in her 90s. And I just, I really want to be like that when I'm in my 90s instead of grumpy and upset or thinking that I didn't accomplish what I needed to in my life. I want to be like Granny, like Richard's Granny, who, who said the best years of my life were still ahead of me. Absolutely. So Richard would be at my table. 
um, there's a, a special man, another man who's definitely at my table, and that is Patrick Combs. And he um, is an author and has had a successful career as a one doing a one man show. Um, there's a movie that just came out about his life where he he took a check, one of those fake checks for $99,000 and as a joke, deposited it in his account. And they cashed it. So it's about his story with what happened with that. It's hysterically funny. And Patrick is a life coach now and helps people tell their stories. And he taught me how to forgive. And he taught me to let go of what was holding me back and how to believe in myself. Not just to believe in myself, but how to believe in myself. Uh -huh. And he also holds me accountable. And so he is absolutely at my table. And my twin sister, I have an identical twin. Oh, wow. Yeah, I have an identical twin. And she's been at my table from the beginning. And it's always right there. Um, she supports me in every single one of these steps. And she's just an amazing strength um, for me. And so I couldn't do it without her. And my parents are at my table. You know, I have learned so much from them. My mom put me through hell. Those six months were the hardest six months of my life, hands down. But I am grateful to her for teaching me how to get through this, how to face some a challenge that seemed absolutely insurmountable. It was just unbelievable what I was faced with and had to do it quickly. And so I am grateful to her for teaching me resilience and seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and how to catch lava as it's flowing. <laughs> uh -huh. And my dad for instilling the lifelong learning in me. I mean, that was his whole life was learning. And he had a wonderful business that my sister now runs, um, which is simultaneous interpretation for international events. And my dad loved his job because he got to learn. That's that's what he did everywhere. When I was in college, I um, worked for him. And one of the events was in Los Angeles at the Biltmore. And it was the Conrad Adenauer Stiftung. And at this event, this organization was actually planning the demise of the Berlin Wall two years before it happened and we couldn't say anything but i was there experiencing history and learning from all of these people on how this was going to be done and so my dad just went to all of these events and learned something from every single one of them so he's definitely at my table and i have so many friends and so many people in my life that are there for me that give me strength you know my neighbor across the street is absolutely at my table because she is somebody that if I'm having a hard day all I need is a hug from her she'll just come up and say hey friend and give me the best strongest most loving hug and then then we'll go on our way you know it's just in the front of the driveway she'll just give me a hug and that's it you know a minute later Friends, yeah. friends are the best. Well, imagine if 
you're at this table with all of these people and they're saying, Nori, we are here for you to support you in anything you want to do. And you feel all these special attributes each one brings to you. And they're there to act as your advocate and your support person or even to do things for you. And they ask you, where are we going next? What's the vision for the next chapter? What would you say? So where, where I'm going next is a second book. And the next book is, I think it's going to be called Claiming Your Seat at the Table, but I haven't settled on that. And it's everybody else's journeys. I want people to share their stories with me. Ooh. And I want to capture them in a second book that shares their journeys. Because, yes, I've shared my journey, but I want to, I want to learn from others. And I want other people to share their stories. Because everybody has a valuable story to share. And I would love to read it. So that's the that's the goal is to get other people to share. And on my website, you can submit for the next book. You can choose a chapter or you can do a, a submission that covers everything. There's the dog. <laughs> hey, puppy. <laughs> and for those of you listening, I'm going to link to this. And if you're listening on app, go to the episode page on thoughtleadershipstudio.com. It'll be linked to in the episode description. And, and Nori, this has been awesome. Very inspiring and enlightening. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. And I love your podcast. Love it. Thank you. I'm glad you do. And where would you direct our listeners to go to learn more about you or to get the book? So you can go to my own website, which is norijabba.com, N-O-R-I-J-A-B-B-A. And my name itself is worthy of another book. It's it's such an exotic, strange name. My birth name was Barbara Wood, and now I'm Nori Jabba, so I have this alter ego. Mm -hmm. uh, my name is Japanese. It's actually Noriko, and Jabba is Lebanese, and that is Jabba like Jabba the Hutt. And I do have to say that on the phone if people are, if I'm giving my name, because otherwise they think I am coffee, Java, which would be a lovely name as well. Um, but you can go to norijava.com to learn more about me and then the book and to give a submission for the next book, learn about events coming up or have me be a speaker at your event is keepingyourseat.com. Well, thanks again, Nori. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Thought Leadership Studio. Well, I hope you found the interview with Nori insightful and empowering as I did. Now, if you're listening to Thought Leadership Studio on an app, make sure you also go to the episode page at thoughtleadershipstudio.com where I have links to Nori's website and other resources, as well as a link to get the free Marketer's Guide to Strategic Thought Leadership to help you with the building blocks of your own thought leadership. So, I'm Chris McNeil, Strategic Thought Leadership Coach and Consultant. 
It's been great having you. Please subscribe if you've not subscribed already. Please leave a review if you've not left a review already. Thanks for listening to the podcast, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Thought Leadership Studio. Thank you.